0: About the Babylon 5 season 3 episode convictions. So, this episode is what I would describe as a breather episode. We've had two sort of major impactful episodes the season finale and then a season opener. Um, And this is a much more standard thread of the week, monster of the week, whatever you want to call it, uh, kind of story. But around sort of monster of the week uh, sort of uh, storytelling style you have a bunch of small scenes peppered throughout that progress characters introduce new characters that will become important later and uh, the threat of the week itself is also just tied to an ongoing plot thread so it's kind of a episode that just is sort of after you take a deep breath and you release you know just exhale Sort of uh, relieving some, some tension, uh, but also still being mindful of the ongoing uh, plots and where characters are supposed to be in their respective arcs. Um, so I think I'll talk about first the entire... Because um, everything kind of uh, results from the the bombing situation so i'll talk about the bomber himself first so they're they're trying to figure out when the bombings start happening you know what is causing causing the bombs and uh you know garibaldi has that that saying of nine out of ten times uh you have a bomb you have a political message so what is the political message and they can't find anything and ivanova gets you know gets this uh Uh, warning of, you know, X amount of hours until chaos, you know, chaos is coming. And you realize as the the course of the episode goes on that the bombs are targeting people. And when Sheridan faces down the bomber himself at the end of the episode, uh, you know, at the climax, uh, that is when we kind of get a hint of what's going on. He, he's crazy i mean the the actor definitely portrays crazy well he's you know putting emphasis on certain words that most people wouldn't put emphasis on he's you know waving his arms he's kind of just bonkers but he makes mention that the that he lost his wife his job his apartment uh you know it, it and when and when the life was being rough on him uh, he was told it's nothing personal it's just the times so as we see the the kind of situation uh that's going on uh, uh you know w- with uh with Earth and the the consolidation of uh, power there in and, and everything that's going on and the uh, I'll talk about this in a future episode this season about the job uh, the, the 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 homeless and the jobless problem that uh Earth has but denies um is kind of affecting things and He's, uh, and he's angry and he's lashing out. And the reason why his targets are random and seem to be chaotic and have no reason behind it is because that's the message. He wants people to feel lost because he felt lost. He wants people to be scared because he felt scared. It's, it, it, it's more of an ideological uh, statement rather than a uh, political statement in the fact that he wants you to feel what he felt it's kind of petty revenge in a way. And uh, within the entire bombing plot, uh, we get a lot of interesting uh, side things. Like I said, the the, the the bomber, while having, by the end of it, a relatively interesting motivation, he is rather simple. And it's not the focus of the episode. It is It is merely a plot device to get these other minor scenes to happen to uh to create uh to basically create a drama a ticking clock in the background so that we can focus on the character work we get introduced to brother theo uh and we get several interesting things about him even though he's in this episode for only a few minutes brother theo is a catholic priest and uh as we see at the very beginning with the drazi, um we're, we're starting to see that Babylon 5 is becoming sort of a holy site. Um, it's becoming a holy site because of what Kosh did. Kosh, you know, very publicly went and rescued Sheridan. And of course, because of the way Vorlon's work, you know, they look like angels or whatever religious, uh, you know, symbol to the respective people. And so now they, they, they kind of, well, people or especially relig- religious people are coming here to visit because they want to see you know, the religious symbol, the religious leader, or, uh, you know, what, what have you. Um, it's kind of a pilgrimage in a way. And Brother Theo is the interesting one, though. Instead of being very uh, fanatical and, like, well, we're here to let his light radiate over us, much like the Drasiar at the beginning of the episode, um, he's there to examine other cultures and other religions he has this speech to Ivanova where he talks about that you know you see uh, you, you you see all religions you know all these different religions throughout not only our kind but other races and you see common denominators in them common ideas uh and maybe just maybe it's the world trying to figure itself out that it's uh it's all talking about the same thing, maybe. Um, he's one of those, and like, being, being someone who's religious myself, uh, I have seen people be very judgmental, uh, uh, and I have always come from the uh, perspective that everybody's religion is valid. I may worship one god, you may worship another, but at the end of the day, we probably agree on a lot of the stuff. That most religions are just a way to figure out the world, explain the world, and uh, provide a sense of sanity and order to the world. And um, I'm, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, and that does not make someone who's a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Muslim or what have you incorrect. I never believe that. I firmly believe in the right of everyone to believe what they want to believe. Because at the end of the day, I think that most religions have some sort of common thing to them. Uh, And Brother Theo's perspective is very much in line with that. Uh, He's not judgmental. He's like, you know, he perfectly understands other people's want for different religions. He understands uh, that people come from different upbringings and and, and view things differently than he does. He wishes to understand. Not to preach and say his right is correct. He wishes to understand. That's very important. Now the Lanier side of the plot. Um, first, we have it at the beginning. Um, the, you know, he's stuck in the airport. He he's waiting for the lens ship to get back, and he's he's stuck in that deal where where people are talking to him. And believe me, I I relate to him. I've been to many airports been on many flights and I've been the person who's been stuck next to a really talky person and you know you, especially if you've been on multiple flights and you're you're catching connecting flight you're just tired you're exhausted and all you want to do is just have a breather and just relax before you get crammed in with hundreds of other people to be flown in the air at high velocity you know Uh, and you know, tr- that kind of travel is stressful. And this guy just won't shut up. And I relate to Linear so much when he lies, which is important to note that Linear lies. And we know that the Minbarani have this philosophy that they do not lie except to save another, basically to save face. So he lied for no one's benefit except his own. Isn't that a bit strange? But... Uh, he, he lies and says, oh, I have Netter syndrome, which is hilarious because of, uh, the meta commentary with Douglas Netter, who was one of the people responsible for letting JMS make the show in the first place. But also that it, you know, in that situation, like it's spread through physical contact. You know, if you've ever been in that situation where you've been next to someone in a talkie airport, you kind of want to do that. It's mean and it's rude and you should never do it in the back of your head you're going oh I so wish I could do this you know that kind of that kind of situation um, but onto the more interesting bit of his story um, is when the bomb goes off uh, in the docking area and uh, he saves the lynn and he sh- and he saves Londo uh, which of course he does. Because we've we have seen him throughout you know throughout these two seasons uh, now into the third he's he's the embodiment of a, a an incredibly duty-bound religious caste Minbari. And part of that is all life is sacred, which is a line he says at the end of the episode. And we even see that later in the episode he kind of doesn't regret but, Questions saving Londo because of Londo's recent actions. You know, uh, I may have harmed the future by saving someone who does not see all life as sacred. Um, but this is where the entire ordeal ramps into Londo. Uh, in the fact that he willingly pulled Londo out of the fire before the explosion happened, boom, and took the full brunt of it. And Londo, the moment this happens, goes, oh, someone just saved my life. And we see him talking to Franklin. I I want the best care for him. You know, he, he saved my life. And we see that really heartwarming scene where he talks to Lanier, who's unconscious. And he, he's trying to find a way to say thank you. And he's 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 babbling on and on and on and on, and he's like, if we, if uh you were in my position, uh you know I I am I'm, I'm sure that you know situations would be reversed, you know, um, and and he he's he's just trying to find some way to not only repay but also just to say thank you. It's very simple. But yet, it's it means so much because Londo has, you know, to pull a line from uh, midway through last season. You know, I have I have friends that I never knew I had, uh, and that, that, that scene in the bar with uh, with Garibaldi. And it is here that we get to see, you know, how that the, what that has affected him in a way. You know, uh. Of, he he sees what people really are and, and you know he see you know the, the that that idea in uh comes the inquisitor that you 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 are who you really are when you're alone in the dark and he realizes that lanier uh especially their bond name from first season he truly did care for him uh and even if lando's recent actions have called into question uh you know, their their relationship with each other, he still was good enough and kind enough to save him. Uh, you know, Lanier is an understated hero in that way. And Londo tries to pour his heart out and tries to find some way to say thank you. And I think it's a really heartwarming scene. Which, it's it's important to have that right after... Uh, the scene where we cut between Jakar and Londo, ta- uh, you know, Jakar talking to Garbaldi and Londo talking to Sheridan about the uh, uh, about the bombing and how Londo pins the blame on the Narns and Jakar blames the Centauri. Uh, the cycles of violence keep spinning, 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 ever spinning uh the fires of this conflict were stoked once again and they are continuing to be let flame. There are playing roles um, and especially Londo is putting on a mask. Uh, I've talked about this before and this mask says you know this is this is the way things have to be. And when he's by himself with Lanier we see the real Londo come out and we see him, trying desperately to cling on to someone and uh, and say thank you for saving my life because no one's ever cared that much about me. And I mean, think about it. You think about how much respect and power and authority Londo has now as a result of everything that has happened the past two seasons. And think about that... He doesn't think he has any friends that would be willing to sacrifice themselves for for him that no one's ever bothered to care about him in that way at all. And that means something to Lando. And then we get to the best scene of the entire episode and one of my favorite scenes in the entire series is the Londo and car elevator scene. This was intended to be entirely different than what it ended up in the actual episode. You can watch JMS talk about this on an Interview, look it up on YouTube. Uh, basically, the idea from JMS was always to invert a cliché. It's a cliché you can find in many, many, many different works of fiction. The uh, t- uh, the idea that two enemies got locked in uh, locked into a situation together by uh, some means, and they have to assist each other in getting out of the situation, and they bond over it, and they learn to understand each other's feelings and perspectives, and blah blah blah. They're not exactly singing kumbaya at the end, but you get the you get the idea, you know. So the idea was JMS takes that cliche and flips it on its head, and you have. Two enemies that are basically so full of themselves that they refuse to help each other. It's the idea of what if an immovable object and an immovable object met. Not if immovable object met the uh, the unstoppable force, but if two immovable objects came into conflict. And so that is the idea of the scene itself. Now in the script, it was played completely straight. Uh, and, uh, it was supposed to be a bit of a serious, darker, you know, sort of situation. And Andres Kozlis and Peter Jurassic looked at the scene and said, no, it's a comedic scene. Yes, it's serious, but it's also comedic because think about this for a second. Jakar is now stuck in a situation where no matter what he does, he can either try and help Londo out or he could not and most likely they're going to die. So he may as well just sit on his ass and let the person that he feels is personally responsible for the death of millions of Narns and the enslavement of his species die. And so, to quote him, as the humans say, up yours, die. And he's just laughing like a maniac. He finds this absolutely appealing. It's hilarious. And he's mocking Lando the entire time of, you know, can someone hear me? I hear you. That that it's just great. Uh, just no, I'm not gonna help you. I get to watch you die. And see, what what's wonderful about this scene is that it was, like I said, it was supposed to be a bit more serious, a bit more dark, and the actors took it and ran with it and turned it into something that is ten times better than what it was on the page. Um, you know, I'm a comic book writer, and one thing I love about comics, and it's something very unique to the medium, is that I can write something. And I can intend for something to turn out some way. And then my artist can look at it and interpret it a different way. And then draw it to where it's so much better than I had in my head. And all I can do is just thank them for that. Uh, You know, uh, the artist is telling the story. I'm merely telling them an idea. And they are turning it into the story. With TV, you have a lot more hands on deck a lot more different interpretations. And especially when it comes to actors, they have to interpret the words and the way it's intended, and the thematic implications and the character motivations behind it. And when you have actors, like Peter, Jurassic, and Andres Katsoulos, who are so in tune with their characters, they can turn something that is an interesting idea into an amazing idea and make it work. And to quote, you know, to quote JMS in that interview, he's like, you know, I, at first I was, uh, you know, not, not satisfied with that idea. And, you know, Peter Jurassic said, okay, we'll play it your way and then we'll play it the correct way, our way. And you'll tell us which one to use. And of course they were completely right. You have to play it comedically because this, this sort of thing is so heavy that having, as I say, this breather episode um, not only does it fit with the, what I've been saying, it's a breeder episode, it's, it's a way to, for the audience and the characters to relax, even though it has bombings in it, you know, there's not exactly a way to relax. But you get what I mean from the, the ongoing situations, that ha, the ongoing plots that have been going on, but it also makes perfect sense from a character standpoint that Londo would be playing it straight and Jakar would be having the time of his life. And through that interaction, we get to see how similar and yet different they are. And I've talked about this. They're both people who care a hell of a lot about their world and their people. And they have been playing at politics that they are not entirely comfortable with. And they're wearing masks. And they're almost entirely defined by the cycles of violence that exist between the Nun and the Centauri. And we're seeing them develop and change. And it's, it's, it's just a beautiful scene. And when we cut back to it, you know, throughout the episode of there's too many fishies in the sea, except Lando in me. And of course, uh, the, the end of, uh, uh it's an unfair universe. Uh, uh, you know, I hate my life. So do I. Uh, it's brilliant. Th- that is just that shows the power of what writing and acting can do to combine to create one amazing scene. And the thematic implications of it and the character development from it, it's all beautiful. As I said, this episode is a bit more of a breather episode. It's a thread of the week, a monster of the week kind of situation, but there's little snippets here and there that really keep developing and uh, make this more than just a standard Monster of the Week. It makes it an actual enjoyable and interesting episode to watch. And of course, the laundry-car elevator scene is just fucking hilarious. But anyway, I shall see you next time. Bye.